0: You have. You now in, too you we would be honored if you would join.
1: Us. It's a wonderful day in the universe, and you want to know why? Because we are here together as one far, far away fam and that's always a good thing. Okay, let me explain what happened to the podcast. Let's get this out of the way. We signed up with Man Axiom Broadcast Networks last year. They took over the contract that we had with Random House Audio. The contract that we signed was good for one year, and they failed to renew the contract. So we got hit with over 50 copyright claims, basically every episode that we put out this year. So after some lawyers and some negotiation and all that type of stuff, we decided to leave Man Axiom and Random House Audio said that we could keep on using their books for a while. But just to be on the safe side, we're going to be changing some things. So starting with the next season, we are only going to use a small clip of the books, less than 10 minutes. This means shorter episodes, but there will be more episodes in a week. This way, we can make sure that this never happens again. Plus, the only way that we could get out from underneath the Man Axiom banner is we had to give up our name. We are under a two-year contract, and we are only one year in. So that was the ultimatum that they gave us. So we will be changing the name of the podcast to something new. I know it sucks, but that's how these networks get you. We thought that it would make things easier to sign up with a network, but we learned a valuable lesson. Easier ain't always better, so we will be changing the name. We haven't came up with a new name yet, but we have a few months until that has to happen. But enough with all that, we got a story to get to. We got plenty of time to cover all the details in some later episodes. For now, we need to get back to Bane and the Ruler Two, Because when we left off last time, Bane was heading to Tython to find a holocron, and Xana was going to Coruscant and the Jedi Temple. So let's see what's happening now.
0: A chill wind blew through the forest, dropping the temperature well below freezing. But Johan was able to draw upon the forest to warm himself and keep away the worst of the cold. The Jedi Knight was frustrated. Little progress had been made in the construction of the monument on Rusan over the past weeks. The project, the victim of a campaign of vandalism and sabotage. It had begun with the destruction of the hover sleds. The repulsor coils, eaten away by some type of toxic substance, smeared across their surface. It had taken four days to arrange for the shipment and installation of the replacement coils. The second incident had seen all the heavy equipment coated with a thick, sticky sap that turned out to be a powerful adhesive. Gloves, boots, and other clothing of the workers had stuck fast, becoming permanently attached to any surface they even brushed against. Luckily, nobody had made contact with bare skin. It had taken hours to find and apply chemical solvents strong enough to break the bond, and two full days to clean the gummy residue off the equipment. Johan had considered posting some of his crew as guards through the night. But the monument site was remote. Each morning, the crews were flown in by air shuttle. Anyone assigned to watch over the site would be left completely alone. And if the unknown vandals were armed, the guards might be injured or even killed. That was something the Jedi was not willing to risk. For a few nights after the second incident, he'd hired a private security team to patrol the region, hoping they could catch whoever was responsible. Those nights had passed without incident, however. The would-be saboteur likely scared away by the Shaw Force. But funding on the project was limited, and Johan was already over budget because of the previous setbacks. Ultimately, he'd ended the contract with the security patrols, And two nights later, the vandals had struck again. The third incident began with the crew arriving in the morning to find that someone had spread pungent pollen around the entire construction site. As the suns rose, a great flock of tiny birds, tens of thousands of the squawking, screeching creatures descended on the site, drawn by the scent. Their numbers blotted out the twin suns as they swooped and dived at the crew, making it impossible to work. Even after the pollen was gone, the smell lingered for two days, drawing the birds back each morning to put a halt to construction. Johan had decided to take matters into his own hands. Whoever was behind the mischief was cautious, and a security team marching the perimeter was too visible to be an effective deterrent. So for the past three nights, when his crew boarded the waiting fire and returned to the comfort of their beds, He had remained behind, determined to catch the Vandals in the act, and bring them to justice. As a Jedi, he could go several days without sleep. Instead, throwing himself into light but restful meditative trances that allowed him to remain aware of his surroundings. And if the perpetrators turned out to be armed, and even hostile, Johan was confident he wouldn't be in any danger. He was hunkered down behind a camouflage blind, hidden in the trees that surrounded the construction site. Located atop a small bluff that overlooked the site, and armed with night vision goggles, he had a clear view of the entire area. The first two nights had passed without incident, and Johan had begun to fear that whoever was behind the attacks must have known he was there. If something didn't happen tonight, he decided, he'd have to try some other course of action. Nearly two hours later, his patience was finally rewarded when, through the goggles, he saw a single figure creep out from the trees less than 100 meters from where Johan was hiding. At its side
1: was a long, thin object that could have been a weapon, a walking stick, or possibly even both. Okay, let's stop right here and discuss what's going on. Now it jumps back over to Johan and it is talking about the conditions of Rusan. Then it explains how Johan is using the force to warm himself. He is on guard duty, watching the construction of the monument on Rusan. It's been a while since we covered this in the last part because of all this happened, so I feel like quick recap is in order. Johan is overseeing the monument being built on Rusan. The one that honors Hoth and the other Jedi that died stopping Khan. But as they are trying to do this, someone, Dervish, Xana's cousin, is sabotaging everything to stop it from being built. Dervish blames the Jedi and the Sith for the way that Rusan is now, for all the weather anomalies and stuff like that. And he's right. It was their war that caused Rusan to be so messed up. But he has been sabotaging everything. This is causing the project to be way over budget and so far they can't catch the person doing it. So Johan is taking things into his own hands. He thinks he can catch whoever is causing all the problems. So let's get back to the story and see if he achieves his goal.
0: Johan scanned the surrounding forest looking to see if the person was alone. The only companion showed up in the night vision goggles as a small green blob, hovering in the shelter of the branches. Joe Hunt recognized it as one of Rusan's indigenous bouncers, and he felt an involuntary shudder as he remembered the terror the species had inspired in the Jedi after a powerful Sith ritual had destroyed their forest homes and driven them mad. It would make sense if the bouncers turned out to be behind the vandalism. To protect his troops, Hoth had, in the last days of the war, given standing orders to shoot the creatures on sight. And hundreds had died at the hands of the Jedi. Though the surviving members of the species had returned to their peaceful, healing ways, it was possible they still bore a grudge against the Order for what had happened. But that still didn't explain the involvement of the humanoid figure making its way slowly toward the camp. Johan broke from his hiding place. He knew the bouncer would flee at his approach, launching himself on the forest limbs high into the air where he couldn't follow. Short of killing it, which he wasn't about to do, he wouldn't be able to bring it down. But the bouncer's companion would have to escape on foot, and Johan was confident he could outrun any non-Jedi. He raced toward his prey and the figure turned its head, alerted by the loud crunching of Johan's boots in the snow. Johan caught enough of a glimpse of the face behind the hood to know he was chasing a young man. The man threw down the walking stick and bolted for the trees, the long robes he wore to protect against the cold fluttering out behind him. Johan had fifty minutes of ground again. With the power of the force flowing through his limbs, he'd expected to make up the distance in a matter of seconds. But his adversary moved with surprising speed and the Jedi realized that his quarry was, at least on some small level, attuned to the Force as well. Across open ground, Johan was still faster. But he was a good ten meters behind when the man reached the forest edge and plunged into the undergrowth. He cut a path that would have shaken off almost any pursuit, weaving and darting in and out of the densely packed tree trunks, ducking under sharp branches and leaping over thick protruding roots at a breakneck pace. Drawing heavily on the force, however, Johan was able to match his progress, swatting away the limbs and leaves that threatened to smack him in the face and nimbly avoiding the roots that would have sent him crashing to the ground. They sprinted through the forest for several kilometers, neither able to gain ground in their contest. The chase ended when they broke into a small clearing with a tiny mud hut built in the center and Johan realized that his quarry, blinded by panic, had instinctively run for home. The man raced to the door, as if hoping to escape by locking himself away inside. Then he stopped, suddenly realizing the mistake he had made. With slumping shoulders, he stood by the door, making no attempt to flee, as Johan cautiously approached. I didn't think anyone could keep up with me through the forest. He said, defeated, as he opened the door to a small hut. You might as well come inside and get out of the cold. The interior was simple but clean, and just large enough for the two men to share the space without feeling cramped. The only furnishing was a small sleeping mat in the corner. Glowing embers in a pit at the room's center threw off enough heat that Johan was able to remove his thick winter robe and lay it beside him as he sat cross-legged on the floor. His host also shed the heaviest of his garments, peeling away multiple layers before kneeling across from his uninvited guest. Johan guessed the Man was in his early twenties, only a few years younger than the Jedi himself. He had dark, scruffy hair and a long, scraggly beard. There was a wildness in his eyes. But it was only when Johan noticed he was missing his right hand that he recognized him as the famed Healing Hermit of Rusan. Do you know who I am? Johan asked. I know you're a Jedi, the hermit replied. That's why I couldn't shake you. My name is Johan Othon. I'm in charge of the project to build a monument to those who sacrificed their lives here in Rusan. Johan waited, giving the other men a chance to respond or reply. But the hermit simply stared at the ground, his good hand resting in his lap, clasping the stump of his right arm. Why did you wreck our equipment at the construction site? He half expected the hermit to make some type of denial. After all, Johan hadn't actually caught him in the act, but instead he freely admitted what he had done. I wanted to stop you. I figured if I cost you enough time and credits, you would give up and go back where you came from. Why? Johan asked, puzzled at the venom in the hermit's voice. ''We don't want your kind on Rusan. the younger man snapped. ''You have no right to be here!'' ''I served with General Hoth and the Army of Light.'' Johan answered, trying to stay calm despite the righteous indignation he felt. ''I saw my friends die. I saw them sacrifice themselves to save the galaxy from the Sith.'' ''I know all about the Sith,'' the hermit sneered. ''And the Jedi too.'' I saw the war with my own eyes. I know what happened. Look at what your war did to this world! He shouted, his voice accusing. Every year, the snow falls, and with each winter more and more animals die from the cold. Ten years after your so-called victory, entire species are still being driven to extinction by what you caused. I am sorry for the suffering this world has endured, Johan said, but the Jedi cannot be held responsible for everything. The greatest harm to this planet was done by the Sith. Jedi, Sith, you're all the same, the hermit spat. You were so blinded by your hatred of each other, you couldn't see the consequences of what you were doing. And in the end, your general marched down into the underground caverns to face Khan's followers, knowing he would unleash the devastation of the Thought Bomb on this world. Hoth sacrificed himself so that others could be saved. Johan protested. The Thought Bomb was an abomination. Hoth should have done everything in his power to keep Khan from using it. Instead, he intentionally forced his hand. There was no other choice. Johan answered, defending his former master's actions. The detonation of the thought bomb destroyed the Brotherhood and forever rid the galaxy of the Sith. The hermit laughed loudly. (laughs) Ha ha Is that what you believe? The Sith are gone! He shook his head and muttered. Poor deluded little Jedi. What do you mean? Johan demanded. He felt an icy fist closing around his guts. You don't believe the Sith were wiped out? I know they weren't wiped out, the hermit answered. One of the Dark Lords survived, and he took my cousin as his apprentice. Johan's head snapped back as if he'd been slapped. Your cousin? It sounded crazy, completely implausible. But the hermit, despite his wild eyes, didn't strike Johan as mad. How do you know this? After the thought bomb exploded, I went down to the tunnels to see what was left. The hermit whispered, his expression grim as he dredged up dark memories from his past. I saw them there. My cousin and Lord Bane. He held a stump up before his face. They gave me this. Johan's mind was reeling he remembered the mercenaries he'd encountered in the aftermath of the battle and their tales of a Sith Master who had brutally slain their companions. Though he'd later recanted his position and dismissed their account in the face of Farfalla's irrefutable logic, part of him had always clung to the belief that their story was true. With no evidence and no leads, he had abandoned his efforts to prove that a Sith Master had escaped Rusan alive. Now, inside the walls of a tiny mud hut... He had stumbled across the proof that had eluded him a decade ago. You saw a Sith named Lord Bane? Johan pressed eagerly, looking for greater confirmation. How do you know it was him? For a time, I was part of Khan's army, the hermit whispered softly. We all knew who Bane was. This... this is unbelievable, Johan stammered. All thoughts of the monument and the vandalism that had led him to the Hermit gone from his mind. We have to tell the Jedi Council. We need to go to Coruscant as soon as possible. No. The refusal was delivered with such simple finality, it stopped Johan Cold. But the Sith are still out there. The Council must be warned. The Hermit shrugged. So warned them. My place is here on Rusan. ''They won't believe me,'' Johan admitted. ''They'll want to question you themselves.'' ''I've seen what happens when the Jedi and Sith go to war. I won't be part of it again. I won't go to Coruscant.'' ''You were vandalizing Republic property,'' Johan reminded him. ''I could arrest you and bring you there to face charges.'' The hermit laughed again. (laughs) ''And then what, Jedi?'' torture me until I confess what I saw? Use your powers to twist my mind and make me say the words you want to hear? I'm sure the council will believe you then. Johan frowned. The hermit was right. The only way the council would believe him was if his testimony was freely given. Don't you see what's at stake? Johan said, changing tactics. You saw what happens when the Sith raise an army and go to war. If you come with me now, "'The Council will listen to your warning. "'We can seek out this Lord Bane and stop him "'before he has a chance to lure others to his cause.' "'As he spoke, he reached out to touch the Hermit's mind with the Force. "'He didn't compel him to agree to the request. "'That wouldn't serve his purpose here. "'Force persuasion was a temporary measure, "'and by the time they got back to Coruscant, "'the effects would have worn off "'and the Hermit would know he had been manipulated.' making him even more intractable. Instead, Johan simply tried to make the man more willing to listen to reason, casting a veil of calm and tranquility over his thoughts. He gently swept the other man's bitterness and resentment to the side, allowing him to weigh the logic of his arguments unclouded by passion and emotion. Bane has gone into hiding, he continued. If we do not find him... He will reveal himself only when he has rebuilt the armies of the Sith, and the galaxy will be plunged once again into war. But if you come with me now, we can convince the Council to seek him out. Help me stop him, and we will prevent another war. The hermit stared at him for a long time, before finally nodding his agreement. If it means stopping another war... I will go with you to Coruscant.
1: Okay, so Derevish finally makes an appearance. Johan spots him coming out from the tree line about 50 meters away. So Johan leaves from his hiding place and gains chase. Derevish breaks for the trees to escape. Johan uses the force to propel himself faster, but he is not gaining as fast as he should be. This is when he realizes that the person that he is chasing is also using the force, but he is still gaining on the cloak figure. When they reach a clearing, the person runs to a hut. But he stops at the door realizing his mistake. He had just led the Jedi right back to his house. This is when Johan reaches the man. And at this point, Derevish didn't even try to flee into the hut and hide or anything like that. He just opens the door and invites Johan in. And once they are inside, that's when things get real crazy. Johan asks Derevish why is he trying to stop the monument. Derevish tells the Jedi it is their fault that Rusan is so messed up. Johan counters with it's not all our fault, the majority of the destruction was caused by the Sith. Dervis says Haas goaded Khan into setting off the thought bomb. Johan tells him because of Haas' action there is no more Sith. Dervis laughs and tells Johan all the Sith are not dead. Lord Bane has survived and took his cousin Rain as his apprentice. When asked if he was certain of this, Dervis actually snitches on himself. He says that he used to be part of the Brotherhood of Darkness and Bane and his cousin gave him his missing hand. When Johan tells Dervish that he needs to come with him to Coruscant so he could tell the Jedi Council of what happened, Dervish refuses to do anything. But after some forced persuasion, Derevish agrees to go to Coruscant and tell his story. So let's see what else is to come in this chapter. The chief librarian of the Jedi Archives
0: was a venerable Syrian named Master Bararona Ban. Welcome to Coruscant, Padawan Nalia. He said, rising from his seat, to greet Xana with a smile as she entered his room. How was your trip from Polis? Master Barra's private quarters looked much as she'd expected. A great number of journals, handwritten notes, and data cards covered his small desk, organized into neat little piles. There was also a small view screen and a terminal that she suspected was linked to the main Index Catalog of the Archives, allowing Master Barra to reference it at will. The journey was long but uneventful, she replied. Her voice was calm and relaxed, though inside, her heart was pounding. The illusion she projected of being an apprentice of the light side had served her well so far, but now she was face to face with the Jedi Master. If she made even the slightest mistake, all was lost. It was good to get away from the cold," she added. Nalia, unlike your master, had not been born on Polis. She had originally come from the tropical regions of Corson. The Syrian laughed, creasing up the wrinkles on his tall, cone-shaped forehead. Master Anno would disagree with you, I suspect. She replied with a gentle laugh of her own. My master sends his regards. She said, recalling from the profile that Anno and Bara had briefly studied together at the academy here in Coruscant. Do you have any plans to visit him on Polis in the near future? I'm afraid such a journey would be... impossible. He replied with a sigh. The Archives require my constant attention. Master Anna warned me you would say that. She said, smiling. He told me you would use any excuse to avoid ever visiting Polis again. Not everyone takes to the ice and snow with the ardor of the Pingani. The serene admitted with a sly twinkle in his eye. The exchange of pleasantries concluded, he returned to his seat and punched a key on his terminal, bringing up a large block of text on the screen. I have reviewed your request to access the archives, he told her, and I believe we can accommodate you. He tapped the terminal again and inserted a data card. The terminal hummed as encrypted data was loaded onto it. The archives are available at all hours, day or night, He informed her. You will have clearance to access the general collection, but please remember that the contents of the analysis rooms and the chamber of Jedi Holocrons are restricted. I don't think they'll be necessary for my research, she assured him. Master Anna was very specific in what he wanted me to look for. The data card popped out of the terminal, the information download complete, and Master Barra... Handed it to Xana. Insert this into any of the catalog terminals in the archives, whenever you wish to log in and look something up. Original works may not be removed from the premises, but you are free to copy any materials you find onto this disc for your personal use or collection. I've taken the liberty of preloading your disc with some seminal works that may be of interest to your research. He added, smiling at her once again. Thank you, Master Barrow. Xana said with a bow. "'How long do you expect to remain here in Coruscant?' he asked. "'A few days at most,' she answered. She doubted she could maintain the illusion that shielded her dark side powers from detection any longer than that. "'Master Anna was anxious to continue his research. He wants me to return as soon as I have the information he needs.' The Surya nodded in understanding. "'Of course.' But while you're here, I hope you won't spend all your time studying parasites and symbionts. You have a rare opportunity to explore all the knowledge and wonders of the galaxy, and I hope you will take advantage of it. I will try, Master Barrow, Zana promised, though she had no intention of staying a second longer than was necessary. Good luck with your research, Padawan Nalier. the librarian said, dismissing her. With another bow, Xana turned and left his room, more confident in her mission than ever. If she could fool Master Barra, chief librarian of the Jedi
1: Archives, into believing she was Nalia Adolu, she knew she could fool anyone. So this part jumps to Xana being in the Jedi Temple. She took up the alias Nyla Abdullah when she's Padawan learned. Using the Force to block her connection to the Dark Side, XANA infiltrates the Jedi Archives to research some information about the Orbalisk. Under her alias, she meets with Barrana Rana the Chief Librarian. And after an exchange of some pleasantries, the Chief Librarian grants her access to the Archives, which shows how much power XANA has. To be able to block her connection to the Dark Side right in front of the Chief Librarian of the Jedi Archives, one of the smartest people in the galaxy, probably knows more about the Force than anybody else, That had to be a little bit difficult for Xana. And that's where the chapter came to an end. But we did learn one thing in this chapter. Palpatine wasn't the first Sith to be able to mask his dark side power. Xana had achieved this way before old Palps was even born. Now let's get to the quote of this week. And it comes to us from Winston Churchill. He said, never give up on something that you can't go a day without thinking about. I thought about this quote for a while. And I think that it goes really well with what just happened to Sway. In all general terms, we got canceled. But I couldn't let that be the last word. There are too many good stories that deserve to be told. Things about Star Wars that we enjoy hearing. Every day I think about Star Wars. Every day I think about you, our listeners, and what you mean to us. For three and a half seasons, I have been talking about following your heart, never giving up on your dream, and picking yourself up when adversity shows its ugly head. Finding a way to achieve your goals and never giving up. Well, we ain't giving up. And we will find a way to keep on giving Star Wars to the fans. We will never give up on Star Wars and we will never give up on you. Okay, I think that's enough for today. I gotta stop before I start getting emotional. So join us next Wednesday as we cover part 18 of this amazing book. We really hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway so was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDame. Sound design by Theodore Thompson. Research by Tammy Turner. I am your host Kyle and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.